Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. So we are going to uh, continue our sermon series on spiritual warfare this week, and I believe we're even going to continue uh, it next week as well. Uh, the way that this has turned out. Uh, it's amazing once you start going down the rabbit hole in the Word of God that He just begins to reveal more and more truth to you. Amen? So uh, today, is, it's going to be different, okay? I'm, not, I'm just going to let you know right off the bat, you've got your handout, hopefully. Uh, if you haven't got one and we have any leftovers, our ushers can get you one. Um, but looking at your handout right now, you probably could guess already that today is going to be a little bit different. If you're new here, uh, let me uh, tell you, normally we love to, to spend weeks going through the Word of God chapter by chapter, verse by verse, unless, of course, we're covering a certain subject matter that needs to be covered. And that's kind of what we're doing in this series, Spiritual Warfare. We've arrived at a topic today, uh, which is Angels and Demons. And that's the name of our sermon today. If you're a note taker, you can write that right at the top. Spiritual warfare, angels, and demons. Today, you're going to drink from the fire hose. Are you ready? (laughs) So yeah, sometimes we we, uh, cover subject matter that it's a lot of, I always want to, whatever we do in teaching, I want to encourage you, want to give you application points for life and whatnot. But today, we're just going to cover a lot of facts, which I think will Uh, which will wipe away a lot of misconceptions uh, that we have uh, in our culture in regards to angels and demons and that sort of thing. You know, when you die, you don't become an angel. Did you guys know that? Oh, his angel's up there now. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that or how many funerals I've I've even done when, uh, how many uh, funerals I've done and I talk to the relatives and comfort people and they say, well, his angel's up there now. And I'm just like, Spirit is. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, Paul says, right? But we don't actually become angels. So things like that, I think we're going to wipe away a lot of misconceptions today by doing a deep dive here. So uh, last week we we mentioned this or led with this quote. So I'm going to lead with it again this morning. Can we see that first graphic? Miyamoto Musashi, the world's greatest swordsman, samurai. Samurai uh, from... uh, long, long ago, was regarded uh, by the order of the samurai to be the world's best swordsman, the best in history. His advice was, know your enemy, know your sword. So that's what this spiritual warfare series is really all about. What is it that we are fighting against really, right? We say all this all the time that there's a spiritual war going on. We watch the news. We see the, we see the, the, the struggle for our culture, the culture war between Christianity, Christian principles and values versus where the other side of the culture wants to take us, right? Well, there's more to that, and we know as Christians that there's more to that. We know there's a spiritual war, but what is it really that we're fighting against? What does this adversary... This adversary looked like behind the George Soros mask, right? 
What does it look like beyond the veil? Who are these angels and demons? Well, angel, right off the bat, in Hebrew really just means messenger. Okay? So if we want to get down to the nitty gritty, God sends messengers. Sometimes in the Bible, he sends human messengers even. But oftentimes he sends these these, uh, uh, beings that are multidimensional to communicate a message, and we have labeled them, or rather the word of God simply calls them angels in our tongue, but it really means messenger. Rabbinic legend actually tells us that there are 10 different kinds of angels. Interesting, huh? Four main main kinds, uh, four different classes. We've heard of cherubim, right? Cherubim, seraphim, Angels, archangels, well, we're going to get into the weeds of a lot of that today. The Bible doesn't say when God created angels, okay? But we know that they were already in existence and that Lucifer had already fallen when Adam was still in the garden. So we know they predate us anyway, right? You know, I've heard it said actually before, why would God create demons? Well, you'll find this interesting today. He didn't, okay? Uh, Let's start here, though. You've got your sheet. I gave you worksheets today because I'm going to cover a lot of stuff on the screen, and the screen is just, uh, you know, I don't think, what's that? Uh, Are there any more sheets, Chuck, or we gave them all out? Okay, they're gone. All right. Uh, On your sheet, I gave you sheets today. Everything that's on your sheet will be on the screen. I just thought it might be a little bit hard to read for those in the back. All right, so right out of the gate, what is an angel? Well, we see many, many, many different references to them in the Word of God, and we can describe them using the Word of God, okay? Right off the bat, they're spirit beings. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, right? They're spirit beings. They're obviously created beings. They're also invisible. That's pretty cool, right? So that tells us right there that they're multidimensional because we believe in a spiritual realm. We know that we exist in four dimensions, height, width, girth, right? Um, and, and time, thank you. And time. Uh, Albert Einstein did us the favor of, uh, of proving that to be reality. Actually, the, uh, the further you travel away from the earth, time changes. It affects you differently. Okay, how strange is that, right? Uh, I always love to share the story. Uh, mathematically, mathematically, if you were to leave Earth traveling at the speed of light, go all the way to Alpha Centauri, turn around and come right back, by the time you got back, you would be younger than everybody else here because time is a dimension that is Earth-centric. It's hard to wrap our minds around that, isn't it? Uh, that said we know that there must be at least one more dimension for spirit beings to exist that we can't see, and obviously God exists in that realm. We experience them, we feel his presence, we communicate with the Holy Spirit, yet we don't see, right? Now, quantum physicists will tell you that uh, there must be at least 10 different dimensions, probably 11, for creation week to have happened the way that it did, and that's fascinating. And scientists at CERN in Geneva, Switzerland, are experimenting with that stuff right now uh, with the Large Hadron Collider and uh, uh, some nefarious motives as well there. In any case, 
angels are invisible. 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. They can also materialize into human form. That's interesting, isn't it? In Genesis chapter 18, uh, verse 2 through 8, we see Gabriel, and Gabriel appeared human. They didn't even recognize that he was a different being. He looked human. Uh, And so uh, we also learned that there are often angels among us, and sometimes we entertain angels unaware. How wild is that? There's a possibility that you have met a person in your life, and it was actually an angel. So they have that ability. They're also immortal according to Luke chapter 20. They are holy according to Matthew chapter 25. They are wise according to 2 Samuel 14. Meek. They also possess emotions. So they have feelings. They are also innumerable. And they are powerful according to Psalm 103. And angels are obedient to God. Or rather, they are expected to be and they are supposed to be according to Psalm 103 as well. They are unmarried. They are unmarried. They do not create anything. There's no creator angels, like uh, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses want to say that Jesus was just a creator angel. No, no. They don't create anything. Uh, They are not perfect not perfect, as we'll see. They are concerned with human things. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, and we'll read that in a moment. They are concerned about what's going on here in this realm, in your life. And they are organized into order and ranks according to Isaiah, 1 Thessalonians, and Daniel chapter 10 famously talks about, about the uh, different ranks of the angels. He talks about the angels. He talks about archangels as well, princes and chief princes, they would say. Hebrews chapter 2 says they are a higher life form than man, and they worship Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't on the list, but when uh, Jesus comes back at the end of the seven-year tribulation, Jude tells us that that, that Jesus will come with his myriads, which myriads means his angels and saints. How cool is that? They do not wish to be bowed down to. They know who the true Christians are. They don't want to be worshipped. We see that in Revelation chapter 12 when John just gets overwhelmed and he falls at the angel's feet. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want any of that. Get up, get up, get up. I'm not the one. Okay? They can blind people. They can mute people. And they can kill people. Pretty incredible, huh? They can cause plagues. And they can cause death as well. And they can heal also, according to John chapter 5. From there, we get into some extended classes of angels. Can we see the next graphic? And it should be on your worksheet as well. We already covered that there are angels. That there are archangels as well higher in rank. There are seraphim. Interestingly enough, the seraphim uh, in the Hebrew, the noun of that word means fiery serpent. And as a verb in the Hebrew, it means burning. So they are either a flame or they are serpent-like or both. Interesting. 
cherubim placed in the tabernacle around the mercy seat. Now, we've seen different drawings of the Ark of the Covenant and what we think it looks like, and everybody's seen Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Well, cherubim, cherubim uh, were supposed to be uh, around the mercy seat. Also, interestingly, in Genesis chapter 3, a cherubim was placed at the gate to the Garden of Eden. So after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, the word tells us that a cherubim was placed there with a flaming sword to make sure Adam wouldn't try to sneak back in. Because I'm just telling you, if I was Adam, I'd be trying to sneak back in. Just saying, right? Yes, I will not go back to paradise, Lord. Interestingly, though, they had the face of an ox or a bull, uh, and that could be where this legend of a minotaur is based on, okay? Because again, these are real created beings of God. And this could also be, also be where we get the idea of Satan having horns, you know, pitchfork, pointy tail kind of thing, right? Did you know, though, that there are also guardian angels? We grow up telling our kids that there are guardian angels. We watch movies at Christmas time. Oh, what's that one from the 80s where the guardian angel is there? What's that? Yes. And there's a guard, the guardian angel is there. But then we grow up and we think, I don't know if there are really guardian angels. Does everybody really have their own guardian angel? Yes, is the answer. Uh, we see that in Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. Uh, Peter's guardian angel broke him out of jail in Acts chapter 12. Remember that story? There are also death angels. We see them especially throughout the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 37, angels wiped out the Assyrians. Exodus chapter 12, what passed over? Remember the blood on the doorpost? What the death angel passed over? In Isaiah chapter 37, Numbers chapter 14, and Numbers chapter 25, interestingly enough, the, the word uh, a plague translates when God sent the death angel and a plague fell upon the people in every one of these cases. The word in the Hebrew translates to this word magpah, which means, I found this so fascinating, stroke, brain hemorrhage or aneurysm. So if in your, now if you're reading in the word of God and God you see that God sent the death angel and sent a plague upon the people. You might, I always imagine them, these death angels with a sword or a sickle or something like that, right? Like all the movies. Well, imagine them just dropping over, that simple. Brain hem. It's interesting. Now, that doesn't mean that that's, you know, how they always do it. But in each case, interestingly enough, the adversaries were trying to displace the Hebrews from the promised land. They're trying to remove them, and then the plague was sent. So it's also interesting to note, I put this on the sheet, that within one year of Ariel Sharon giving up the Gaza Strip, he died of a stroke. Is there something to that? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But our last, our last extended category of angels, and I say extended because we have angels, guard, we have angels, uh, archangels, we have cherubim, seraphim. These extended classes just really apply to the angel class, okay? There were angels, there were innumerable, and some of them fell. Fallen angels. And this is what we need to understand, really getting into the nitty-gritty of 
what it is that we're battling and what it is that we are fighting against in the spiritual realm. Obviously, angels have free will, right? Obviously, or some of them would not have fallen. They also are obviously not all-knowing, or they probably wouldn't have chosen to follow Satan and fall, because ultimately their destiny, you know, isn't a good one because of their disobedience. So they're not all-knowing. They obviously have free will. And as I mentioned a minute ago, Peter tells us that angels are fascinated by you. They're fascinated by you. It's, it's so interesting. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. I'll give you a minute to open your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. reads, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. 11, verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Last line, these things which angels desire to look into. They're wondering what this is all about as well. They're watching it all unfold. This story from the, before the Garden of Eden in Lucifer's fall to the Garden of Eden where the, where the serpent showed up and Adam and Eve fell to where they received the first sacrifice to cover their shame that God did all the way to the cross, all the way to today, all the way looking forward to this seven-year tribulation and their own judgment, I'm sure, they're very interested, as the Word of God tells us also, that you and I will judge angels one day. Lucifer, when he rebelled, likely seized upon their interest, likely seized upon their interest and possibly led them to believe that maybe God wasn't telling them the truth about himself in creation. Because isn't that what the enemy the adversary always wants to do. He did it in the Garden of Eden. He, he tried to pull it with Eve. He said, did God really say you couldn't eat of that tree? Can you just hear his tone of voice? Did he say that? I mean, make, first he makes Eve question. Question God. Then he, he, after he sows doubt, he follows it up with a lie and says, you surely won't die. What he's doing is he's making you question who God is. Because when you question who God is, then you question who God said you are. And when you question who God says you are, now you're open for suggestions. Now lying spirits can tell you that you're not uh, an, an inheritor of the kingdom of God. Now he could even tell you that in some cases, maybe you're even more. He can even puff you up, not just tear you down, can he? 
one-third of the angels fell. That's a lot. One-third of the angels were convinced that maybe God isn't who he says he is, and they fell and followed Lucifer. They're also, angels are often referred to as stars throughout the word of God, which also means, I don't know, maybe they shine brightly. Maybe they shine brightly. In any case, they can appear however they want to appear. Even Satan will appear as what? An angel of light. Think of like, uh, what's the movie? Twilight and the guys, their skin's all shiny. I don't know. I worked Twilight into a sermon. There we go. First time it ever happened. Revelation chapter 12, verse 4 and 9 say this. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. These are angels. Verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Satan in the Hebrew just means adversary. That devil, the adversary, Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with them. See, fallen angels differ from angels, from your guardian angel, from Gabriel, from Michael, the loyal angels that worship the Lord. They differ. And we see this next graphic. Fallen angels, according to 1 Timothy, verse 3, and on your worksheet, I think, fell through pride. Pride. Puffed up. Well, maybe God isn't who he says he is. Maybe I could be God. Lucifer seems to think that he could sit on the throne. Maybe I could too. Maybe the man is keeping me down, huh? Well, they fell through pride. Some are already imprisoned in Tartarus, in the abode of woe, which uh, uh, according to uh, the early church fathers, there's different places in Hades. There's Abraham's bosom, which Jesus brought the keys and released all those who were in Abraham's bosom. He's got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Amen? But the abode of woe, the abuso, is as far beneath the earth in this plane as heaven is above it, according to the early church fathers. And some of these fallen angels are, are already imprisoned there, according to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, and Jude chapter 6. Hell, get this, is prepared for fallen angels. And that's what this abuso is. Okay? Tartarus, Paul calls it, Peter calls it. So, there is this movement in the church nowadays that say hell isn't real because how could a loving God send his creation, people like you and me, to hell, right? It can't be. Well, here's the thing, guys. Hell was never made for you. You understand that? Hell was never created for human beings, okay? You know what God had in mind for you when he created you? The Garden of Eden. That's what he had in mind. He created paradise for you, his beloved who he loves. And guess what? You will be with him one day again in paradise, amen? Hopefully sooner than later. I am speaking of the rapture, of course. <laughs> That's important. It's up to you, right? 
here's the thing is, the angels, the fallen angels, they're, they're, tor they're tormentors. They fell out of pride. This was a place prepared for them, you see. A place of holding for them, this hell, okay? As punishment for them, according to Matthew chapter 25. Not you. People go there because they're dragged there by demons, by fallen angels. They go there when they're not secured by the Holy Spirit, when they're not secured and taken to the presence of Jesus immediately. And how do you secure that salvation and that eternal destiny? By believing. Faith plus nothing equals salvation. It's not by good works, right? We talk about this ad nauseum, and we will every time I'm up here, all right? You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't good person your way to heaven. It's only by the blood of Jesus believing on his name. Amen? When you believe, your heart is sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your inheritance as a weosia, fully adopted legal heir of the kingdom of God. It's then our desires are changed. See, he doesn't give us the desires of our heart like I really want a Ferrari. No, he puts desires in our heart, right? I would like a Ferrari, though. Just throwing that out there, <laughs> all right? I don't know if we've got any billionaires in here. <laughs> Pastor's Appreciation Month is around the corner, all right? Don't forget that. So we'd, no human has ever gone to hell in, by God's intention, all right? His heart is that none would be lost. We have to understand that. These fallen angels, according to Revelation chapter 12, will make war on the saints. So we know their desires. We know their intentions. Uh, they desire to be worshipped as God, which is a stark contrast to Revelation chapter 22, which the good angels refuse to be worshipped. Refuse to be worshipped. So we've got uh, angels, we've got fallen angels, right? What then are demons? We're talking about angels and demons here, right? What then are these beings? They're either fallen angels in the text or they're very closely associated. And we'll get there in a second. But let's start here for the moment. Demons. Can we see that graphic? According to the word of God, they are evil. They are evil, Luke chapter 7 and Luke chapter 8. They are powerful also, according to Luke chapter 8. So we can't discount their abilities. They are powerful. They do have some power in this realm and they are unclean, according to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. They are under Satan. It was he that led them and drew a third of them to, to disobey God and to fall with him. And they are capable, many places in the Bible, uh, but Matthew 8 especially as a reference, they're capable of possessing a human, controlling his body, possessing his flesh. They know their destiny, though. They know their destiny, according to Matthew chapter 8 as well. And they receive worship. They have been worshipped in ages past, and even to this day, they receive worship from human beings that they have tricked into believing that they are God or gods. They also instigate error, according to Paul, as he writes Timothy. They instigate error. They instigate heresy. 
They love to get into the church however they can. They love to teach false doctrine. Scripture also teaches that demon possession, according to Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, demon possession is not insanity. Okay? Now, we have mental illness in this world, right? And I've dealt with counseling different people that are obviously suffering from mental illness. And I can tell you that in our bodies, when, when we get deficient in certain vitamins and things like that, it is obviously capable for us to uh, uh, lose our mental faculties in this flesh because the flesh is corrupted by sin. There is sickness and death in this body, and you can have sickness here, okay? So every time somebody is struggling with mental health, it doesn't mean that they're demon-possessed but it also doesn't mean that they're not, okay? But demon possession is not a disease according to uh, Mark chapter one, okay? So this is where we get a little bit deeper. This is where we're gonna get into some stuff that maybe you haven't heard before in your average church service on the subject, okay? Um, some of you have heard it, I know, but uh, if... Demons aren't simply fallen angels. What did I mean by closely associated to them? Well, let's start here. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. The subtitle reads in my Bible, The Wickedness and Judgment of Man. But let's read verse 1. Now it came to pass... When man began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, verse 2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves and all of whom they chose. Verse 3, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 123 years. Interestingly enough, I don't have it in this message. I do, uh, like five years ago, I did a two-part, three-part ser sermon series called As in the Days of Noah, and we get a little bit more into this. Uh, we might do that on a Wednesday night here coming up, if you're interested. Amber wants me to do it on Sunday. I don't know. We'll see. Let's take a vote. Sunday, hands up. Wednesday, either day. Sunday might have it, I don't know. We might run off some new people, though, I don't know. Uh, interestingly, though, in verse 3, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Uh, the Septuagint says that my spirit will not remain in man, okay? Which we talk about the Holy Spirit is indwelling, right? God is saying, my spirit will not remain in his flesh, but for 120 years, for he is indeed flesh. The ancient rabbis, and Peter as well, as evidenced by 2 Peter chapter 2, believed that that was referring to a 6,000-year plan for man. 120, the ancient rabbis believed, was 120 jubilee cycles. A jubilee cycle is 50 years. On the 50th year uh, in Hebrew culture and tradition, Slaves went free. Uh, land would always go back to its original owner. So if you had taken a loan out against your land uh, and you were under, underneath on it, 
your loan would be forgiven. That's why in their culture, anytime you were to take out a loan for anything, they would calculate the interest based on how close it was to the Jubilee year because they knew when the Jubilee year hit, they'd get nothing, okay? So <clears throat> the ancient rabbis would believe that this was talking about 6,000 years because uh, math majors, what's 120 times 50, right? You know, something like that, right? So 50, 50 years times 120 is 6,000. So, and the seventh day, so there's seven days in a week, 6,000. The seventh day, they believe, was a thousand-year millennial reign. And these guys weren't even Christians. They didn't have revelation, okay? So, that being said, verse 4 reads, there were what? Giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards. Now, the amillennialists and the, uh, the church that allegorizes the text doesn't want you to believe that there were giants, but they want you to believe that there was a giant called Goliath, but where did he come from if this is just allegory, right? Kind of doesn't make sense. There were giants in the land, on the earth in those days, and also after those days. That's important. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Another name for them was Nephilim. Nephilim. First Enoch, which is an extra biblical text, uh, which is actually in the Ethiopian canon, but not ours. Uh, it went through the universities of Alexandria and it was touched by Gnostic scholars. So the Council of Nicaea decided it can't be in the Word of God because there is some corruption in it. However, it does color that period of history for us quite well. So there is value in these apocryphal texts. First Enoch chapter 7, verse 2 reads, And when the angels, the sons of heaven, beheld them, they became enamored of them. <coughs> I mean... <clears throat> Knowing my wife, I can understand how they would become enamored with women, right? I think I got some points there. They became enamored of them, saying to each other, Come, let us select for ourselves wives of the progeny of men, and let us beget children. The resulting children are called Nephilim in Hebrew, or uh, gigantes, in, uh, gigantes, or Nephilim, giants, gigantes in the Latin and the Greek, excuse me, Nephilim in the, in the Hebrew. In First Enoch, the historical Enoch goes to God and seeks to make inter intercession for the forgiveness of these giants. He talks to them. They know their fate. They're pleading with him. He goes to God. He tries to intercede, but God says no. No, no, no. He refuses them, and the giants are condemned. And this part of the story is referred to in Sirach uh, chapter 16, verse 7. Again, extra biblical, but adds color. He was not propitiated for the ancient giants who revolted in their might. The Dead Sea Scrolls, we know what they are. The Dead Sea Scrolls, documents that were preserved by the ASEAN people, uh, hidden in the caves at Qumran, discovered in 1948. 
uh, a child threw a rock into a cave. It smashed a vase. And there we have all of these scrolls, at least fragments of every book in the Bible except Esther. And guess what? They all line up with the translations we still have today. So don't let anybody tell you, well, how do you know it hasn't been changed? Well, it has been changed through translations, but you can always go back to the original Hebrew and Greek. And you can find the texts that are closely, most closely translated from that. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, there were 10 copies Ten copies. It took three months to copy a book back then. There were ten copies of the Book of Giants, a work that describes in detail the conception of giants in Genesis chapter 6 from the union of women and angelic watchers. The giants were warriors. The giants were cannibals. This theology was an important part of the theology of the Second Temple time in Judaism. It's important for us to understand that when we're talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, right? Timothy, all of the disciples, and the disciples of the disciples, for that matter, they all lived at this time where they had a worldview that they thought, they believed this to be true. It's considered an Enochian worldview. The book of Enoch is referenced in the scriptures, as is the book of Jasher, an extra biblical text, right? Again, it's been through Alexandria, so we don't consider it as flawless. It was obviously not God's intention for it to be in the Bible, but there can be things that we discern from these texts. We have to understand that the early church, the disciples themselves, believed this to be true. They understood it. They didn't think that the Sethites rose up and there was a war of Sethites, right? No, they believed that David fought a giant because they knew the giants were real. In that day and age, they would have had graves. They would have had bones. It was widely accepted. An Enochian worldview, the church fathers uh, who explicitly teach that angels uh, uh, mingled with women and bred giants, that's where the giants came from. Fallen angels with women bred giants. Justin Martyr, we respect him as a church father in his writings, believed this. Tatian, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Tritullian, Uranius, Athenagoras, Commodianus, Ambrose of Milan. Ambrose of Milan, we've heard of Augustine, haven't we? St. Augustine. His mentor took this literally. Actually, let me share this with you. Can we see this quote? Justin Martyr, in his writing, Second Apology, chapter 5, written in 165 AD, said this. God, when he had made the whole world and subjected things earthly to man and arranged the heavenly elements for the increase of fruits and rotations of the season and appointed this divine law, for these things also he evidently made for man, committed the care of men and of all things under heaven to angels whom he appointed over them to be watchers. But the angels transgressed this appointment and were captivated by the love of women and begat children who are those that are called demons. 
And besides, they afterwards subdued the human race to themselves, and partly by magical writings, and partly by fears, and the punishments they occasioned, and partly by teaching them to offer sacrifice and incense and libations of which things they stood in need after they were enslaved by lustful passions. And among men they sowed murders, wars, adulteries, intemperate deeds, and all wickedness. In other words, they taught the ways of war. They taught warfare. They taught technology. They taught things to man that God hadn't intended for them to know. Means of self-destruction, in other words. Josephus, first century, first century historian, says this. We see this quote. It's on your worksheet as well. Now this prosperity or posterity of Seth continued to esteem God as the Lord of the universe and to have an entire regard to virtue for seven generations. But in process of time, they were perverted and forsook the practices of their forefathers and did neither pay those honors to God which were appointed to them, nor had they any concern to do justice towards men. And here we go. But for what degree of zeal they had formerly shown for virtue, they now showed by their actions a double degree of wickedness, whereby they made God to be their enemy. For many angels of God accompanied with women and beget sons that proved unjust and despisers of all that was good on account of the confidence they had in what? Their own strength. For the tradition is that these men did what resembled the acts of those whom the Grecians called giants. But Noah was very uneasy at what they did, and being displeased at their conduct, persuaded them to change their dispositions and their acts for the better. But seeing that they did not yield to him, but were slaves to their wicked pleasures, he was afraid they would kill him, together with his wife and children. And those they had married, he departed out of the land, antiquities of the Jews. We all know what happened next, though, right? Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 8. Let's read that. If you're already in Genesis 6, it's 5 through 8. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man, saw that it was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. I feel his heart in this, don't you? So the Lord said, I will destroy, destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and the word, the word of God also in Genesis chapter 6 tells us that his family was literally the only uh, uh, genome, the only DNA that had not been corrupted on the face of the earth by the giants and the fallen angels. You wonder why there was only one family on the boat? Because there was one family left that the seed line of the Messiah could pass through. These Nephilim, these offspring, these giants were half angel, half man, and when the deluge came, it killed their flesh and they were disembodied but not dead. Because, you know, we don't die. Even we don't die when our flesh dies. 
we're all going to spend eternity somewhere, right? The question is location, 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 right? So these Nephilim were disembodied. In his first apology written in 154 or 155 AD, Martyr noted, Justin Martyr noted, uh, noted in a writing in which he was addressing uh, Christians charged with atheism, uh, the relevant portion of his writing said this. He noted this. Since, can we see this quote? Since of old, these evil demons affecting apparitions of themselves, both defiled women's corrupted boys and showed such fearful sights to men that those who did not use their reason in judging of actions that were done were struck with terror and being carried away by fear and not knowing that these were demons, they called them gods and gave to each the name which each of the demons chose for himself. In other words, this is where you get the Greek pantheon of gods with a lowercase g, okay? They were fallen angels and they were Nephilim and they're posers, posing as God. They desired to be worshipped. This is where we, we watch movies about like Hercules, right? What's the story of Hercules? Half God, half man. So next time you drive by the Parthenon downtown and you see all the uh, little gods and statues up there. Maybe you look at it a different way. They're Bible characters, actually. Nephilim. From here, as time moved along, and I'm running out of time. I don't want to run out of time. As time moved along, uh, as time moved along, uh, um, Clement gives us some insight into the progressions of things. Ultimately, I can't, don't have time to read you that. But from here, they began teaching that God was impersonal. These fake deities, fallen angels, Nephilim, they began to teach that God had put a part of himself into creation. And over time, they actually said, well, yeah, stuff that Noah said was true, but God really put a part of himself into the creation. Actually, and as that progressed, they said he actually put all of himself. Now he doesn't even exist anymore because he is the creation, right? They began calling themselves immortals. They began, even humanity began to call uh, themselves immortal. Uh, These followers of these false angels, they started to call their parents gods. They created temples for them even. They explained that God is, that a God is simply one that is blessed by God and allowed to rule. And that's how we get these ideas that Pharaoh was God, right? Well, that's interesting enough as well, because in the naming of a Pharaoh, they would go through a ritual where they invited a, a spirit to enter them. So they were likely possessed and calling themselves God by a demon. I'm telling you guys, this is a deep rabbit hole, isn't it? The concept of immortals and gods and all this stuff, it became common. It was accepted then that the new gods were the incarnation of the original God. Eventually, the true God was thus replaced with little gods. Little gods. Have you heard this before? Ancestor worship was later added. And all of this, all of this, ancestor worship... Catholic Church, you know, praying to Mary, praying to saints, all of this stuff. Are we tracking here? 
Yet all of this was pre-flood, pre-flood, and, and immediately post-floods. Yet we still see it all today, don't we? We do. This little gods thing is still floating around today. Now you, you are little gods, aren't you? The little god heresy is alive and well. It's alive and well in the church today. It's in Bethel, uh, Bethel, Redding, California. I should, Bethel here is a good church that I know of. Redding, California. It's propagated by the new apostolic reformation, usual suspects. Not that I need to name names or anything, but maybe I should, huh? I'll, be, I'll give you a working list. How about that? I don't want to talk bad of God's anointed ever, but I don't think these people are God's anointed. But it's Gnostic, and it's demonic theology is what it is, okay? You can't become God. You know, the, the scriptures that say, ye are gods, they take that out of context. No, it means you belong to God, you're gods. Not that you're a god, okay? But this is something that all goes back to Lucifer, you have to understand, okay? It all goes back to Lucifer, and that is where we are going to have to pick up next week. Okay? So different today. A little bit of a fire hose. But are we, do we, are, are we enlightened? Yes. Is this beneficial to the body? Yes. Amen. All right. Well, we'll invite Leith forward and let's close. Let's close. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you arm and equip us, Lord. We know we're in a spiritual struggle, Lord. We thank you that you haven't left us unarmed, Lord, that you've given us the word. You've given us insight to know what it is exactly we're fighting against so we can pray against it, so we can war in the spirit, so we can truly understand that as your word says, that we do not wage war as the world does. No, but we wage war in the spirit and we wage war with spiritual gifts and you have given us tools to protect us, Lord Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, feet fitted with the gospel of peace and the sword that is the word of God, which is truth, which is you, Jesus, for you are truth. You are truth. And that sword cuts through the false teaching that the, the demonic realm would try to teach us, would try to confuse us with, Lord. Oh, Lord, this morning we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, Lord. Lord Jesus, if there's anybody here this morning, let's do this, every eye closed, every head bowed, if there's somebody here who's been under attack spiritually from these demons, these demons that want to sow error, if, you've been, if you have been abused by false teaching in the church, that is, Paul called it a doctrine of demons. If you've been hurt, if you're engaged in battling these forces right now, raise your hand. Raise your hand so we can pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. When you're a believer... The fact that you're being fought just means that you're standing in truth and doing something right because they don't like that. 
Lord Jesus, we ask that you'd strengthen your people, those who are under attack right now and those who will be under attack, Lord Jesus. Give them, give them your word to come quickly to their minds, Lord, to speak truth to fear, to speak truth to lies, Lord Jesus. Encourage their hearts. Lift them up, Lord Jesus. Lift them up, Father. Let them know that they battle not alone, Lord. They battle not alone. I'm going to read you, I just feel led to read you this one more quote right now. Can we go to the last graphic that I had? Keep, and Letha, you just keep playing. Guys, if you could open your eyes and look at the screen, I want you to look at this. Our ancient church fathers said this, demons have no power over Christians. Amen? They must tell the truth if commanded to by a Christian. You understand? Origen wrote, all angels, demons, and other unseen powers are subject to the name of Jesus. Origen also said, every Christian, and get this, if you feel that you're weak, maybe you're a new believer, he said this, every Christian, even new ones, have no problem casting out demons. You understand that? You know why? Because it's not you who's doing it. It is the name of Jesus. Amen. If there's anybody here that wants to say a prayer this morning and recommit their life to Jesus, or maybe you never have and you need to put your trust in him for salvation for the first time, we never want to close a service without doing that. Let's pray right now. Repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that you rose again from the grave. I believe the payment was enough. That my debt before God is settled. Come into my heart. Holy Spirit, seal me. Make me new. And walk with me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said none. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour his favor and grace out upon you. May you prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys.